Praise be Jesus Christ. Welcome to episode 10 of CarmelCast. My name is Father Michael Joseph of St. Therese, and CarmelCast is a production of ICS, the Institute for Carmelite Studies Publications. For more information, you can go to icspublications.org. And today, for our episode today, we're really happy to have Brother Emmanuel of the Mother of Mercy. Um, he's a classmate of mine. We're in the same, same year, same level of formation. And Brother Emmanuel, you know, has a great devotion to St. Teresa. And St. Teresa of Jesus, our, our founders. And so we thought it'd be, he'd be great to be able to speak about uh, St. Teresa, especially because today is her feast day, right? So um, maybe, maybe just so you could say a little bit about your own kind of call to Carmel and how St. Teresa has impacted you. Okay, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so I, from very early on, I, I, felt, I found this uh, uh, deep love for the Carmelite charism. Um, and it became very, very uh, prevalent um, to me, at least in my novitiate, when we were encouraged to read Holy Mother a lot, she's a big part of our formation, um, and I found the just the the deep uh, simplicity of the charism, the, her her teaching, her her way of writing and speaking. Um, it re- really resonated with my own just just uh, appreciation of the re- relationship with Jesus. It's just it's just that as a relationship, um, and everything that comes along with that, but. But uh, I found I found her 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 just her love for Jesus, her very simple love for Jesus, that's very consonant all the way through her life, um, was really what struck with struck me um, in my formation so far about about Holy Mother, or Holy Mother Teresa. Yeah, and, and when we talk about right the charism, it's a it's a gift given to this to this person um, uh, for the sake of of the church to build the the body of Christ right. and. There's much to the charism of Saint Teresa that we say we Carmelites have inherited and, and try to live out in our in our desire to serve Jesus. Um, but what you mentioned, I think, is is a great is a great connection is the relationship that simplicity of a relationship with Jesus and and what that means and how that had such an impact on you. Um, so maybe could you give a little bit of background of how she came to that and and what her experience was of that? Yeah. Um... Well, if you're reading, reading her life, um, you find that um, she, she had this great love for relationship and friendship from very early on, you know, and it, um, it, it became a bit of a problem later on for her in her, in her, her life in Carmel, something that she really tried to, she really struggled with and really tried to work through. Um, and, but it was, it was something that, it was something that she really wanted to perfect in her spiritual life. And her her relationships with with um, people and it and it it was perfected and and really fulfilled in her relationship with with Jesus with mm-hmm. Christ um, and in that in that relationship she found the she found that she was really liberated to be able to to relate to people on another level mm-hmm. um, really all within the context of her relationship with Jesus and, mm-hmm. and what was his will for her um, yeah yeah. Yeah, well, how, how do you say, you know, because St. Teresa is, is well-known, more or less, mm-hmm. you know. Um, maybe some of the, the youngest generation don't know as much about her, but mm-hmm. I think she's, a, she's an icon for the church. Um, 
but how is kind of she usually depicted? Like how do most people you think see Teresa or even maybe your impression of her before you knew as much about her? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, a big thing though, and for, for me, what sticks out initially is, um, is like Bernini's statue, mm -hmm. the, um, the ecstasy of St. Teresa. And, and a lot of people, I, I, my guess is a lot of people see her um, as having these, these great, extraordinary mystical experiences. Which I mean, she did, um, but but it wasn't really the essence of, of her her charism, her spirituality, and her what she had to teach to to her daughters and to to the friars, us, and then to the church. Really, it wasn't really. Um, there was much a much more of a core to her teaching that that was the, it was the foundation for her entire spiritual life and and in a sense those experiences. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and you know, you see again, yeah, the Bernini statue and, and this sense of these extraordinary experiences. And, and as you say, that's only a, a small part in a sense of her works. You know, when, when we're in the novitiate and you get the collected works of St. Teresa, either it's the, the five volumes of ICS that are great, uh, or it's the one volume Spanish that's about that large. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's a lot to get through in a sense to see, wow, to really comb through her writings. But could you say maybe, Besides these extraordinary experiences, is there a common theme running through her spirituality where maybe you don't need to read all five volumes, but to be able to find this kind of core? And like, what would that be? Yeah. Yeah, I find, um, well, one thing is her, her, her deep love for scripture. Um, she she refer references scripture and references a, a lot of scripture. And, um, and it was really a foundation for her in her understanding of of, of Jesus and in, and in her ability to teach, she uses a lot of, a lot of uh, metaphors or images from scripture to help explain, explain um, how, how her daughters or how we can, how we can relate to, to Christ and to see our own growth in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And I see that. And also, I guess another thing would be, would be the cross, this, this, um, this deep identifying with Christ um, carrying his cross, mm -hmm. I see a lot of that, especially in um, in her life. Um, I remember Father, our novice master, Father Philip, talking about um, the real, the constants in her in the in chapters um, eleven to twenty one, talking about the the growing experiences of, of of prayer that she wrote in her in her autobiography, and and the they kept yeah, it, it was a, a real strong growth in clear. Growth in um, in these in these experiences uh, that were harder and harder to understand <laughs> as a novice, but the but the the constant there was was the cross and just this acceptance of the cross and this identification with Christ mm -hmm. in the cross. Yeah. Well, then, how could you say maybe in terms of looking at her life, how how was Jesus in her life? How how did he kind of change or or um, how did he? impact her life more and more as the years go on went on like you yeah. know when you look at her life as a whole mm -hmm. yeah i think uh for for her she 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 loved jesus and, and if we look at maybe uh there's a common sort of um division in her life that sometimes fries sometimes people studying her life like to make between what what we would say up to her conversion which is 1554 um i would say her conversion but really her I mean, it was really her definitive conversion to to following Christ and and to and to putting away all all vestiges of 
of, of uh, desire to, to be part of the world. And then, and then after that, um, until, from 1554 to the end of her life. Um, and, and up until her conversion, her, her relationship with Jesus was very, um, it was important to her, no doubt. Um, and it, it's a constant you see in her writings that, that she, she knew that Jesus was calling to her, calling her to a deeper life of prayer. Um, but, but she couldn't really choose it. I mean, or she, she was so, she was so divided in her, in her, in her desire for prayer and her desire to be, you know, in, in what she called the vanities of the world, I guess. So how did she sort of work through that with, with God's help? Yeah, I, uh, well, it seemed like for, for, for most of her almost 20 years, her first 20 years in, in, in Carmel, um, before she started the reform or anything, she, uh, she was really, she was, the big problem for her was just being drawn to the parlor um, because the, the incarnation where she was was like a center of activity, people coming and going and gossip from the town and, and uh, 16th century Spain in Avila. It, was, um, it really was kind of a hotbed, I guess, for, for gossip. And so she, she being this, this naturally um, uh, affable, amiable, you know, just the social, most sociable person you could possibly imagine, um, would just ate it up and, and, it, and it, became, it was a real problem for her. Um, and she knows she knew it, and, and she explains it in the beginning chapters of her life um, that she was just, you know, caught between a rock and a hard place between what the Lord wanted for her and and what what she wanted of her own, you know, use of her natural gifts and how and how to please others. She had stopped uh, praying, and um, her, her confessor had had encouraged her to pick up prayer again, um, and then she knew. That uh, she just she knew that she couldn't she couldn't uh, that these relationships weren't fulfilling for her, um, and and she knew that Jesus was a- asking her, you know, more and more to be to look to Him, and so um, that's where that's what kind of leads up to to the conversion and and that uh, to her conversion in 1554, but really what Jesus was doing, you know, in her conversion was was liberating her. Um, was ma- helping her to see that these relationships, like I said, weren't fulfilling for her, and that his relationship with her, you know, what he at, what he asked of her, what he was calling her to be, was the fullness of what uh, she could be, and she knew that. Yeah, and we know that when she did kind of give herself completely to Jesus, mm-hmm. and it's not like he took friendship away from her, or right. it's not like it was bad at all, right? Yeah. It just, how did it change? You know, once that friendship with Jesus was primary and these other ones weren't kind of like things on the side, yeah. how did how did that change her relationship with others? Yeah, well, there, there one uh, one uh, sort of episode uh, in the, sort of the beginning of her of her conversion or um, when uh, one of her, her confessors, you know, uh, encouraged her to pray to the Holy Spirit. Um, she had this this very uh, transformative locution. Um, and the words that we know of them of them are is, uh, um, how does it? I will no longer have you converse with men, but with angels. And so, um, it helped her just to see, and and it really that it was transformative for her. Um, it really worked in her to to free her from this from these this uh, sort of bondage, I guess, to to um, to these relationships that, she, and and to think that she needed um, to. 
to always trying to be pleasing pe to people. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah, and that's something a lot, of a lot of us struggle with, right? Yeah. To be pleasers or perfectionists in that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, I always found it, you know, very, very beautiful to see how, like, her relationships with others actually took off after this, right? Because yeah. her letters after this period and, and her, her friendships were so fruitful and she had such an impact on people and had so many rich relationships. Mm -hmm. But the difference was she loved them in Jesus now and for Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. And how that can change everything because it's no longer just trying to get your own sort of needs met. It's now, yeah. it's now loving in God and for God right. and, and how relationships can, can be transformed in that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Yeah, because she found that that Jesus fulfilled everything in her. You know, he was he was her spouse. You know, in in the, in sort of the spiritual way of speaking. You know, he really was he was the spouse of her soul. You know, he was the the one who fulfilled her. Um, and and so she found she had no need for for the relationships of other people. You know, with other people in the way of like what they could do for her. Yeah. Um, in any sense of the word, I mean, um, she continued to grow after that. But but the but that was the the insight from then on was was her her complete and total fulfillment in her relationship with Christ. Yeah, and she still yeah. was vulnerable. You know, she was yeah. vulnerable to her friends. She would get offended sometimes if they didn't write her as quickly as she had wanted to, <laughs> or 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 didn't tell her certain things. You know, so she had to kind of. But it was all again. It was all centered on Jesus now. And she said she she loved people in in a new way. You know, it was it was just not egocentric anymore, but Christ centered. Mm -hmm. And I think. It doesn't spare us from the pain of relationships and doesn't mean we're, we can be sort of loners. But what it means is we can be free, right? right. We can be free to love and to be loved right. in a healthy and, and upbuilding way for ourselves and for others. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, yeah, so good for us to remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it seems, you know, it's something that we can all relate to, I think, of the, of the struggle. I mean, I always am encouraged to know that she was you know, almost 40 when she, before, and she was already in the convent almost 20 years before yeah. she had her definitive conversion. So right. it's like, okay, I have a couple of years left, you know, yeah. to, to get to this definitive conversion. And it's, and I think it gives us a lot of hope too, that, you know, it just, just because sometimes we're going back and forth, it doesn't mean that, mm -hmm. that we're not being called and, and God won't give us the grace to, to give ourselves totally mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, and, and, and in a sense, I, we could say that, you know, God really used that time that uh, where she struggled back and forth because she learned so much about herself, mm. and um, and she she learned so much about in the end what how much Jesus loved her that he was working so much to to you know to bring her to this point of definitive commitment mm -hmm. to him. So yeah, and even again with these extraordinary graces she received, mm -hmm. you know we can say well she had a great mission to accomplish, and yeah. so that's part of the reason why she received these extraordinary graces, but. At the bottom of it, you know, was this relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and maybe you could just say a little more about how that played out in her spiritual life um, and, and how she, yeah, how she saw that common kind of theme running through all of her way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, well, she, she, well, if I may, if I may just, she speaks about it uh, very attentively in the life, chapter 22, where she kind of makes her case to her confessors about, about this, this, um, this path of of remaining with Jesus, her confessors were trying to trying to urge her to uh, naively leave behind leave behind the humanity of Jesus and uh, in her in her her growth towards higher prayer and and she she tried that um, she thought it would it would work but she made her case in in life in the in chapter twenty two where um, 
she knew that from that point on, you know, no matter what stage of prayer, Jesus always had to be the model. He always had to be the friend that, um, that, uh, that we would, we, her and I, her and all of us would look to, um, even when we get to those more higher stages of prayer that she describes in her, mm. in her, in her, in her um, interior castle. Yeah, because it's one thing to say you you might leave behind certain kind of ways of praying that you had or maybe very kind of image-oriented, right. sense-oriented types of praying. Um, but the impression that she got that somehow you were supposed to leave behind the humanity of Jesus so you could move on to higher. I remember she yeah. said, I couldn't bear that. You know, mm-hmm. it just it just offended her yeah. <laughs> in her she deepest core. She felt like a core. traitor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so maybe how, how, how does that humanity of Jesus... Um, continue to play on then even into the the heights right of her mystical union how does that kind of keep going back to that humanity how do you see that yeah yeah well I mean I think at the at the core of it even in those higher higher I I keep going back to this and it it might sound like a a plug line or something but but there's the relationship that no matter I mean even in the busiest times of her her reform you know when she was really struggling to found these monasteries and and uh, and and you know, struck with all this illness, she was just constantly, just with with Jesus. And it, I think it's hard to, in my in my own experience, it seems like that's, it's a hard hard way to to convey that. I, um, that she was so just, she was never without him. You know, mm-hmm. he was never without her. You know. But I like how you yeah. you said that. You know, she was always with him, and he was always with her. Mm-hmm. And there, there's that great little story. You know that. Mm-hmm that um, may be well known, but maybe some of you don't know, is um, how in one of her foundations, I believe it was in San Jose or in the Incarnation, I can't remember which one, but um, all of a sudden she's in the cloister and this little child she sees running down the stairs and like kind of coming towards her. And of course she's thinking, how does this little boy get in the cloister? You know, they're pretty strict. Um, And so, you know, the boy runs up to her and just says, who are you? And she says, little boy, she said, I am, I am Teresa of Jesus. Who are you? And he said to her, I'm Jesus of Teresa. <laughs> and, and it was this, this image of the child Jesus appearing to her and just showing that's how connected they were. You know, yeah. he, she took his name and he took her name, yeah. you know, and it just, I think it, it that, that closeness, you know, that at the bottom of whatever mystical experiences she had it was always that, just that closeness with Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That simplicity. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yes, yeah, it was never. I mean, it was just always. She was always talking to him. You know, always listening for his voice. Always just, you know, you know, just going to him in prayer for any difficulty that she had, you mm-hmm. know, um, and just asking him what he wanted. Yeah. You know what? He, what was his desire? And even when she was frustrated, right? The the yeah. kind of the the saying. I think it's it's. Uh, I don't know where where we find it, but it's the common saying of where she, when, when her kind of carriage fell apart when she was on her way to the foundation and, and she, her, she got all muddy and it was rainy and cold and, and she just said to our Lord, she said, if, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them, you know? It's, kinda, yeah. it's sort of like, whoa, you would, but it's that closeness she had yeah. that she could speak that way yeah. to him. Well, it, what really helped her to kind of fill out her understanding um, of her relationship with Jesus and how that fulfilled, fulfilled her, what I said her, I think, uh, earlier was about her her use of scripture and her just her exposure to scripture, reenacting with or, or meditating on as much as she could, you know, scenes such as like the agony in the garden, or um, or uh, identifying with Mary Magdalene 
or with Our Lady at the cross, you know, who loved, who loved Christ so much. And, uh, and you see that in her writings when she reflects on them. It was her, her ability to see that in, in the scriptures and her continual exposure to the scriptures throughout her life was the foundation for, for how she, she came to understand her relationships with others. Yes. Yes, and it's, you can say it's a, it's a very universal kind of way because it's rooted in the Word of God. You know, it's, it's focused on the person of Christ, His humanity, mm-hmm. the gospel, you yes, know. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a way of renewal for all of us, right? It's, it's what the church calls us to is to constantly go back right. to those sources that are, that are so universal. Well, and as you said, you know, she found her place with Mary at the foot of the cross in the gospel. Right, right. And, and it's, it shows, too, her, her whole Carmelite identity as being of the order of the Virgin Mary um, and so connected to Mary. And, but you can see how that connection to Mary, that devotion, which was at the very center of her mission, right, and of her calling, um, was an extension of her devotion to the humanity of Christ, that, that Mary giving Jesus his humanity in the plan of God, then our love for Mary is so rooted in our love for Christ mm-hmm. and our love for the humanity of Christ. And mm-hmm. I think, again, that can help kind of recenter us on, on why what we do what we do and why our devotions are what they are, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they help extend for us the humanity of Christ and in, into other aspects of our lives. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. It's a good point. And, and I think also, I think uh, everything that she did was just out of service to Our Lady, to Mary. And, um, and I, can, I can see that so much in... in in uh, in consonance with with her desire to please Jesus too, so he he's who you know who loved Our Lady more than Jesus, you know, yes. you know. So her desire to serve Our Lady, you know, her order was just so in line with her with her love for Jesus as well. Yeah, and you even have that that beautiful image after she went through all that she went through to found Saint Joseph and all the drama and the and the the, the hardship, and then after it, the foundation was completed, this new kind of cornerstone of of the reform Mm -hmm. um she she jesus appeared to her you know and and in in uh, an intellectual vision and and thanked her um for all that she did for his mother Mm -hmm. you know and yeah but we know of course this comes through prayer you know Mm -hmm. this is not just automatic that you have this closeness with jesus it comes through prayer and 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 Teresa had a kind of way of praying, and she wasn't a big fan of methods, right? Mm-hmm. Because they can get you all caught up and, and confused. But she had a way of praying that, in a way, is a method without being a method. And could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, well, we um, the common sort of, of, of lingo describing it was called the, the prayer of recollection. Um, and she talks about it in her way of perfection, uh, chapter, chapter 28, um, and and really, I guess really, it comes from scripturally uh, from from Matthew six. I think where she talks about uh, well, she speaks about just drawing your faculties in. Is the, the recollection of your faculties of your of your mind of all of your of all your desires and 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 calming them down and just seeking to be to be present to Jesus within because we know as as Christians that you know by by our baptismal grace we have. We have the, the presence of God within our very souls, and uh, and and that was such a uh, uh, a mystery to her, and she uh, it was such a something of reverence for her, um, but it was a tool that she she practiced herself and and saw as this this uh, this this way of just helping others, helping her daughters, um, where she writes about it to 
to calm everything and and remember that they have Jesus as their friend, as their companion. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something that she uh, she gives to the church. Um, and it, of course, it wasn't it wasn't totally original to her, but she expressed it very well of this of this uh, ability to just be recollected and and to be and to just be aware of God's presence, of Jesus's presence. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, and always going back to the humanity of Christ. Mm -hmm. So never letting yourself get far from that. And mm -hmm. she would say in that kind of time of quieting yourself as best you can, even though she said, my mind is like a pack of racing mm -hmm. horses. You know, she just not like she could just sort of turn it off. Right. Mm -hmm. um, she said it'd be easier to move heaven and earth than to, than to yeah. kind of stop my thoughts. But she was able just to kind of help focus herself a little more mm -hmm. on the humanity of Christ, right? And, and just to keep going back to that. It's something you can always go back to when you're sad, to look at the cross, when you're happy, to look at the resurrected Christ, you mm -hmm. know? And, and But it's always going back to that humanity of Jesus. Um, and so could you say then how, you know, in that prayer of recollection, how would we live that? You know, I mean, if Maybe we don't have hours and hours, but but how could we sort of live that prayer of recollection? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, many, you know, everybody has their their busy day, um, but uh, of course, we, I mean, and, and it's a conscious choice. Each, you know, I just had moments throughout the day of uh, of taking time just to be quiet, um, and even if even if you even if it's you know, it's distractions all around you, but just doing your best to. To take time, take time, and just you know, quiet yourself interiorly, and and um, and remember God's presence, and remember that He is with you, you know, through throughout your day, and and wants you just to succeed and to be to be fulfilled mm -hmm. um, in your journey with Him. Um, so yeah, it can be it can be something that can be practiced by anybody, um, and I know ICS puts out these these little uh, pamphlets to help explain it, give give some more references to. To uh, to where she talks about it and to and to how she describes it. So yeah, exactly, and that's that's the beauty of it because I think we all struggle with methods and trying to make our prayer what we think it should be, <laughs> but yeah. but just the simplicity of yeah. it, like you said, we can just kind of quiet ourselves whenever during the day, mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully have some time maybe in the morning to a little more concrete time, but then during the whole day, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to just go back, right? You're just yeah. constantly returning to that presence mm -hmm. and. And how much peace it can give in the midst of, yeah, a lot of craziness in our life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, good. Well, I think, um, you know, I think that's been a, it's been fruitful to, to hear your, your uh, expertise on this, our, <laughs> our Holy Mother. <laughs> and, uh, and that we'll continue to keep growing, you know, in our knowledge. It's, it's one of these inexhaustible sources, right? It's so. true. She's a, she's a, a real, she's, she was given this charism, you know, that we were, we were able to inherit and to live and to, and to embody in ourselves, um, and this is not just for the friars and the nuns and the secular orders, but she's she's for the church. Her teachings are for the church and for and for us who need to learn to 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 live this deeply spiritual life in the midst of society today. Yes, yeah. and it's it's not necessarily about having great ecstasies or great experiences, mm -hmm. yeah. but it's about a relationship with Jesus yeah. Christ. Hey everyone, Brother Pier Giorgio here. Thanks for checking out this episode of CarmelCast. If you want to hear more of us, don't forget to click subscribe. Want more information on Carmelite spirituality and the Discalced Carmelite Saints? Then you'll want to check out our website, 
www.icspublications.org. There's a link in the description of this episode. From here, you can see all our current promotions and access our complete catalog for the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and St. Edith Stein. If you want to stay up to date on all our promotions and new titles, then be sure to add your email to our email list. There's no better way to stay up to date on the latest Carmelite publications. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you.